you will say what needs to be said. Simple but profoundly helpful statement. Really, to me, what that means is if I can get quiet and calm and curious with myself, then I will say the thing that needs to be said, and that will help someone. That will open a doorway somewhere. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. It's your gal, Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. So you might have heard me talk about how I was raised in an ashram, and I think about how the wellness model that was introduced back in the 80s, you know, this typical model, this idea that when we got clear that we should eat well and we should exercise and we should probably get a good amount of sleep, right? And that all sounds good. And then in the 90s, we started to add in, oh, you should journal. And in the early 2000s, meditation and mindfulness began to get really popular. And all of that is great. It's good stuff. But you know what we found? We have found that people can eat well and try to sleep better and do a little meditating. Maybe you even do yoga and still be stressed out and not feeling great. (laughs) That model does not take in the fullness of one of the biggest stressors in most of our days. It doesn't take into account that perhaps the biggest thing that causes us unrest is other people. (laughs) Our relationship with other people, whether that's at work, whether it's your coworkers or the people that report to you at home with your loved ones and your family members, and even over Zoom and the phone more these days. So if you ever find yourself getting really frustrated with somebody, maybe because you said something a certain way, you thought they were going to do something, but instead they did something totally different than what you wanted or expected. And I just know how easy it is for us to assume that because we said something that somebody else is going to hear it exactly the way we intended it to and then respond the way we expect them to. And we've all been disappointed probably a few times in that scenario. And when that happens, when we don't get the results, the reaction, the connection we want with somebody else, it's just so easy to want to snap, right? To get frustrated, to get judgmental, maybe resentful, uncomfortable, and wonder, what am I going to do about this? Well, this is part of the reason we brought on a very special guest this week, Jack Mason Goodall. Now, in addition to being somebody I've had the opportunity to work with in a few different formats over the last 15 or so years, Jack has worked with children and adults with autism and development differences for nearly two decades, since he was a teenager. It really, truly is his passion. Now, after graduating in psychology in the UK, he moved to the United States to train in specialized play therapy. And then he continued to work as a global play therapy consultant for an American-based nonprofit for the next decade. Now, in 2020, Jack decided to found Autism Optimism International, his own organization through which he supports families touched by autism literally throughout the world. 
Now, Jack believes in giving parents the tools to help their own children, and not just to help them learning, but to help them embrace their children for who they really are to build bonds of acceptance and love within each family and bring back the joy and the fun into the adventure that is autism. So we invited Jack here, and in this episode, he explained how working with so many autistic children has taught him that judgment closes the door to connection, both when he's working with his clients, but also when he's running his business. And then he goes on to share what does open the door back up to better connection and communication and the ability to both be present and get some results. Specifically, in this conversation, Jack outlined the steps that take us from being in a state of judgment or resentment or frustration to being able to allow people and ourselves to be who we really are to still have boundaries, but to be able to make progress and have a deeper sense of community or team spirit together. And I've got to say, this is perhaps one of the most quotable interviews we have ever done. Jack has this really profound ability, you're going to hear it in a moment, to get big concepts into deeply memorable sound bites, these small statements that will stick with you, bringing you far more ease and clarity about the way you spend time with your others and in your primary relationship, which is with yourself. So make sure you stay tuned in towards the end of the conversation with Jack, because during our two-way Q&A segment at the very end, Jack is going to ask you a question that will lead to instant wisdom about yourself on the spot. So if you've ever had to interact with other human beings, and I know you do, (laughs) then this is the episode for you. Jack, thank you so much for joining us here on Messy and Magnificent. Oh, thank you so, so, so much for having me. I'm just, I'd be looking forward to this like all day. Well, what's so special to me is our community here at Messy and Magnificent is really connected. They're really engaged. And you are such an important part of my life. We've known each other for years. We've had the opportunity to work together in different formats. And so I feel like I'm introducing my friends to my friends. Like everybody's meeting you. I cannot wait for you to meet everybody in this community. So thank you. Really, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I, I do want to take a moment to just express deep gratitude. For, I mean, first and primarily for having you in my life. You're an incredible friend and support and coach. But secondly, for having me on the podcast, I'm very aware that you created this as a space for, for women. And being the first man who you are interviewing on here feels very significant. I feel very warm and touched and delighted to, to have that privilege. Thank you. It is significant. And it was with a lot of thoughtfulness and intention that we knew that at some point we wanted to be bringing people of all identities here to the show. And it was a matter of creating enough safe space and community first. And I know that if there is a man that gets it, that knows what it's like to incorporate their well-being into the way they run a business, it's you. (laughs) You're (laughs) you're our guy. And so it's really, it's a a win-win. So I'm, I'm trying to remember... How did we first meet? I know where we first met, but years ago, we were both just getting started. I think when you were talking earlier, you know, 13, 14 years that we've known each other, right? Yes. Well, my first memory of you is being invited to a bonfire s'mores party. (laughs) And I like, so I'm English. I had just moved to the USA. 
I had no idea what a s'more was. I'm like, what? what? You put the chocolate on a piece of biscuit? Like, oh, sorry, a piece of cookie cracker? Graham my cracker, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this bizarre thing? And for folks listening, they would have no idea that I take my s'more game very seriously, too. Oh, this she is does. An, this is an art form. So I forgot about that, Jack. But that was a s'more, like, bake-off. We had a s'more competition. There were categories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh thank you, you for reminding me of that. I remember because there was, like, a nutritionist that a whole lot of people in our community used to go see. And one of the categories was, like, the nutritionist approved s'more. <laughs> the gluten-free, sugar-free, yeah, vegan yeah. s'more. What does that look like? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I got to say, every time you and I hang out, it's like being around the campfire. There's something oh. warm about the way you communicate. So speaking of warmth, I know that mm. you have been drawn to your work in the field of autism since you were a teenager. Could you tell us what it was that called you to that field to begin with and why you're still there now decades later? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I always knew ever since I was a tiny, tiny kid, I wanted to do work that was in service. Like even as a kid, you know, when I was like four years old, I was like, I want to be a doctor. And then that kind of shifted. I wanted to be an actor and a performer for a while. And when I was 14, I found a local charity that did like drama and music and art therapy with adults who have learning differences. And so I started volunteering with them. That was my gateway drug into the work <laughs> that I do now. That was, it just lit such a spark in me. I felt so touched and inspired by, by the incredible people who I got to work with. Mm. The incredible, incredible people. And it opened up my eyes to understanding so many more different ways of being in the world than just kind of mm. my white male neurotypical experience. Oh, tell me more about like that. Like, what's an example of that? What's one opening or new way of seeing the world that that you've had the opportunity to experience as a result of this work? Mm. Well, you know, I think about it from so many different angles, Carly, because, you know, specifically I work with people who, who have autism now. And with autism, we're looking at, okay, on a sensory level, I'm experiencing the world in a very different way to a neurotypical person, but also on a social level, like my understanding of social relationships and verbal communication, nonverbal communication, all of that is really profoundly different. So I tell this really cute story about a little kid that I was working with years ago. And I was doing a play therapy session with him. And I was helping him to use the toilet. Actually, it was in America. So we called it the potty. And um, <laughs> so at a certain point, I'm like, hey, come on over. And um, hey, you can put your pee here in the potty. And this little kid, God bless him, like trots over the opposite way, trots right over to the toy shelf, gets down the magnetic box of letters, pulls out the letter P, and then like trundles back over to the toilet and like, boop, like just pops the P <laughs> in the toilet. And it just looks at me. And I'm, I was like, oh, yeah, that was, that was it. You did it. Like you did what I said. <laughs> And it's just, it's this really sweet story because it's, it's, you know, it's obviously funny. It's incredibly cute, but also that kid did what I said. Like mm. I had this idea that he was going to interpret my words in the way that I meant them to be interpreted, but he interpreted it in his own way. And it actually made sense. And I think so often we do this, right? We assume I'd said X, so you were going to do Y. 
And then when someone doesn't do Y, we kind of freak out and we get really judgmental about it. And we, we find that very uncomfortable. But if I said X, but you actually heard B, and so you did C, then you did the thing that made sense to you based on what you heard, based on what you experienced, right? And I've been given just the gift of these multiple opportunities with the hundreds and hundreds of people with kind of neurodiverse needs that I've got to work with over the years. I've had the gift of multiple times that have woken me up and opened me up to, oh, there are so many more ways of being in the world than my way of being. And each of those ways makes sense to that person and is valid for that person. This reminds me of of a phrase I've heard you say before, Jack, when you talk about judgment ending the conversation. That judgment, when we, when we put what we think our expectations on somebody else because of our experience or what we think we've said or how clear we thought we might have been, regardless of whether or not we are, that mm. judging the output, the response, the behavior of somebody else is kind of a shortcut to slamming the door on, on the conversation. And so I'm curious if judgment doesn't create meaningful connection or if it doesn't create understanding in your line of work, what have you noticed works better? Oh, that is just such a wonderful question. Right. Yeah. Judgment takes it it stops the conversation because the things that we judge, we push away. That includes our children. It includes Mm -hmm. our partners and it includes ourselves. Okay, hold on. This is a like (laughs) car screeching to a halt moment. If we were driving, I would have just pulled this car over to hear what you just said again. Judgment pushes away. And we're pushing away ourselves. And so I'm so curious for you because we've had the opportunity to work together in a professional capacity. And I've watched your business grow, really thrive Mm. over the past couple of years. And I'm curious about ways that you have seen judgment show up for you. Where have you noticed yourself judging things? And where have you been able to make the kind of shifts that I know you help parents make on a regular basis? Right. So... I launched a new organization called Autism Optimism International, and I launched it on March the 5th this year. (laughs) And the UK went into lockdown with coronavirus on, I believe, March 12th, which was a very interesting time (laughs) in which to be launching a business that's largely based on kind of play therapy and relational work with people. So one of the things that I did was I very quickly realized I want to get services. I want to get support services out there for the parents who are now stuck at home with their kids and don't have the typical support systems of school or helpers or, you know, whatever it is that they normally rely on. So I launched a free month long support program for families who have autistic children. And I can remember at the time I was so scared. I was so scared because I was judging myself. Like I'd never done something like that before. I have a wealth of experience working with families, but like I've never done an online program. I've never taught parents how to cope with a pandemic before. Who am I like to have something to say here? And I remember talking to you about it, actually. And I can remember you saying, you will say what needs to be said. Mm. And that was such a simple but profoundly helpful statement of Really, to me, what that means is if I can get quiet and calm and curious with myself, then I will say the thing that needs to be said. And that will help someone. That will open a doorway somewhere. And I remember when I started teaching this free program, 
when I was designing the curriculum and the content and then running because because we did like these big grooms, um, Zoom sessions, group Zoom sessions for families. I kept coming back to that. Like, if I can get calm and quiet and curious with myself, I will say what needs to be said. And I think really that is the opposite of judgment. When we're talking about calmness and quietness, I think really what we're talking about is acceptance. Just holding a space, a soft, quiet space inside ourselves for who we really are. And for the parents that I work with, we talk too about holding that space for who your child really is or who your spouse or your partner really is. Can we get calm and quiet? And then can we be curious? Because coming back to your original question, which is like judgment ends the conversation, acceptance and curiosity opens the conversation. If I can create acceptance, I create some calmness and quiet to be able to really see what's going on, right? Judgment is actually, it's a filter that I'm putting on what's going on. It doesn't really show me what's happening. It's showing me what I don't like. Acceptance allows me to really see the situation. And then curiosity allows me to take the step to understand the situation. And when it comes to autism, when it comes to someone who is having a profoundly different experience of the world, how can we have a relationship with those people if we are not basing it on really trying to understand them and their experience. Oh, so talk to me about that for a moment. Where does a person even begin? Because I love how you've outlined this idea of acceptance and curiosity. And sometimes I wonder if curiosity is the gateway into acceptance, right? It's like, let me get curious about this. Why might this mm. person be doing this? Or why might this miscommunication have happened? Or why might I be feeling this way? Or what, whatever, right? Sure. That can be the gateway in, into acceptance. But can you give me an example? I know when you work with families, you often work with the parents. A lot of the work, interestingly enough, that's going to yes. be there for the kids really starts in the way you support the families. What's an example of a, of a typical judgment maybe that you see come up a lot with families and then the actual shift into curiosity? How does that shift begin? Okay, so I think that there are two big judgments that I continually work with with families. The first is, and when I say this, I'm very aware, I I don't know the different lived experiences of your audience, but a lot of people kind of hear this statement and kind of immediately think, yeah, of course, of course, that's true. Like we don't really question it, but the judgment that autism is itself a bad thing. Mm. There is such enormous social buy-in to the idea that any neurodiverse experience is bad. Like anything other than being neurotypical, that's the right way. Anything that deviates from that is bad. So we do a lot of work with parents to say, look, it's totally fine. Like if you want to call autism a, a bad or a wrong thing, that, that, that's okay. You have the right to call it whatever you want. But does that feel good? Mm-hmm. Does that help you enjoy your child? Does that help you have a deeper, more loving, more playful connection with them? Because as a parent, that's, I'm sure, something you would love. But if you're looking at your child and you're saying something fundamental about you is wrong, that's going to get in the way. Yeah. So I would say that's kind of judgment number one. That's a a huge thing that we really, that I really try to sort of work with families and support families with shifting around that. But the other one, and this, we do not talk enough about this, which is I, as a parent, am doing a bad job. Mm. And I 
I'm sure. Like, I just want to kind of <laughs> float this out to the audience right now. It's like if if we could have every parent on the planet in a room all wearing blindfolds so that it was all anonymous. And we said, could every parent <laughs> who thinks they're doing a bad job put their hands up? I think nearly 100 percent of the hands in that room would go up. OK, so this is powerful, Jack. And you talk beautifully about how being a parent is a lot like being the CEO of running a business. And so you're reminding oh, yeah. me, you're reminding me of what it's like when I work with all of these extraordinary business owners, whether they're just getting something started or they've been doing their work for a while, or maybe if you don't run your own business, you have a career that you really care about. There's this often secret belief of, oh my gosh, if other people only knew how unqualified yes. I am to be yes. doing this, or like everybody thinks I have it so together, but I really, um, that's that imposter syndrome thing, right? Really, if they only knew what I was capable of, if I could just figure this one thing out, if I could just hack this thing, or if I just had a solution or the right coach or the right book to teach me this one new thing, then I would be good enough. And so you're like, I see now, and I'd love to hear more from you about this analogy that you give about how being the parent of a child with autism is often very similar to running a business. What's the connection? Yeah. How do you tie those things together? Oh my gosh, we do tie them together. Um, to add to what you said, I think being a parent, being a parent of any child is like being a CEO. I mean, you know, <laughs> add in autism to the mix. And we're talking about like CEO, CFO, we're talking about receptionist, we're talking about secretary, we're talking about the driver, we're talking about being the cleaning staff. Like you are you are a single person multinational corporation when you have a, a child <laughs> with autism. And my hat goes off to you, my gosh. Because you are having to take on so many roles and you are having to make so many decisions that feel huge. You're making the decisions about what sort of education do you explore for your child? Do they go into a mainstream school? Do they go into a special school? If your child is struggling to develop clear spoken language, what kind of alternative communication systems do you choose for them? What kind of therapy? Like, are we looking at behavioral therapy? We're we looking at play therapy. Are we looking at relationship-based therapy? Like there are so many choices that each feel like they have enormous consequences. Mm. And you have to do all of this while looking like you have it all together. Because we as a society do not allow parents, but especially do not allow women to look like they are having a hard time. And how do you see that showing up with the, with the parents or the mothers that you're working with? What's some of the way that that presents this inability or this lack of permission culturally to show the fact that we need help? How does that present itself when you're working with these families? I would say the number one way it shows up is comparison syndrome. Hmm. having some kind of some person that you might have seen on social media or that you've come across once who who gives the impression that they have it all together yeah and then that person becomes the whip that you beat yourself with oh wow <laughs> that <laughs> phrase so that that person that we may or may not even know we're just seeing right. their highlight reel becomes the thing upon which we abuse ourselves with. We compare ourselves. That imaginary measuring stick where we're just taking a small piece of their life or what they've, they've shown us. And now we're comparing ourselves to that. And you're reminding me if you're willing. And if those of you listening, if you haven't noticed already, Jack is incredibly authentic and open and honest about his experience. That when you started this 
version of your business, just as COVID was landing, you were also going through your own personal major shifts. There were big things happening. And so there was plenty of opportunity for you to be doing what you're talking about, the parents doing, of this sense of, am I even qualified to be doing this? Am I going to be able to be doing this? And you took this really unique way of taking care of yourself as a form of taking care of your business. And so if you're willing, Jeff, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how you link emotional well-being to the success of your business, how those two things are related to each other. Absolutely, because this is my passion. This is, this is really, really my passion. So it's interesting because as, as an autism professional and as someone who's a psychologist and a therapist, I'm often someone who people kind of project their comparison stuff onto. They're like, oh, well, Jack would know how to do this thing. Jack would be fine if this thing happens. And because I'm having conversations with parents about how to be able to create a bit more ease and comfort and happiness with their lives, sometimes that turns into an idea that I am easy and comfortable and happy in my life all the time, <laughs> which is just totally not true. And so. I used to have this idea that it was professional to just kind of not reveal too much, to not disclose too much about things that are difficult for me in my life, because I'm there for my clients. Like my time is for them and they don't need to waste their time thinking about what's going on for me. And then a couple of years ago, I found out that the man who I was engaged to, who I was planning to move from the UK to California with, had been having an affair for two and a half years. Mm. And it was the closest thing that I've yet experienced to my life completely collapsing. And I can only imagine that there could be some kind of equivalency for a parent who's had a child who is so excited about that child, so excited for their future and has all these dreams and ideas to then find that their child is being diagnosed with autism. Like that idea of we have an idea of the shape of our lives and we're excited about that shape and then that shape disappears and we get a completely different shape. So I'm there and I'm devastated and just made the decision, you know what, I am not going to hide this. I am not going to package this into a pretty box where it's like, yes, yeah, so, you know, this thing happened, but I've learned my lesson and everything happens for a reason. And, you know, hashtag blessed. <laughs> That's not who, who I could be at that point. And that wasn't who I felt it would be helpful to anybody for me to be. So I journaled very openly about my experience and decided to post those journals onto my Facebook profile. And over the course of really a year was incredibly public and raw and to steal your podcast title, messy <laughs> about what my process was there because I felt so strongly like this is real. Like this is mm. what life is like. It is amazing and incredible things happen and really, really difficult, tough things happen. So you want more free time, some space to think. You know, everything would be so much easier if you just had a little more wiggle room in your days. By golly, I hear ya. So let's talk about my favorite B word for a second, boundaries. 
14 years of coaching has shown me that there is a direct correlation for women between how much time and energy you have to get to the things you really care about and the types of boundaries you're setting. But nobody has taught us to set boundaries in a way that feels good. And that's why this episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. This is my forthcoming at-home study course that's going to give you both the tools and the community support to make having boundaries both doable and downright enjoyable. I'll make sure to let you know when it's available. So get on the list by heading over to carlyfane.com and get totally free access to the mini Boundaries Like a Boss course. There is nothing for sale in this 45-minute program that outlines the three essential mindsets that women with boundaries know. And it comes with a step-by-step guidebook that will allow you to have the script to upgrade your boundaries on the spot, even when people push back on them. You know that hunch you've had for a long time that you're meant to do something meaningful in the world? It's right. Let's make sure that you get to do just that. Oh, Jack, you remind me of, you know, Jack and I are both yogis. We both love yes. doing yoga, right? And sometimes we'll, the fun thing of working together or, or being friends and having a shared language is we can throw in the occasional yoga reference, right? Right. But, but you remind me of how common it is. I'll speak specifically to the yoga community that I've been part of for there to be an element of spiritual bypassing. The 100%. sense of, okay, this tricky, challenging thing just happened and I know it's for my greater good and it's all okay. And I don't have to worry about it and I can rise above it. And okay, but I love when you talk about what's real and that there's opportunity for both and that you didn't avoid, you didn't run from this and you didn't hide it. And also you were intentional and that you journaled and then you consciously brought forth what you felt appropriate to bring forth to your your public page, right? But that this awareness of not rushing by like not yeah. tucking things neatly in the closet and pretending that they aren't there. When you talk about judgment being one way that we push away what's true, this feels like a real life version of you living that example of, I could just throw a label on this, like up, oh, lesson learned, hashtag blessed, you know, aren't we lucky for the good things in our life? But you went a little deeper than that. You sat yes. with it. You dared to pause. And that's the pause. If, tell me if I'm getting this right. But it sounds like you're inviting your parents to do as well when you're working with parents of of these children, this opportunity to like soften for a moment. So So, kind of, yeah. So just to jump in, the word that I use that resonates for me is integration. That has really become kind of my touchstone for, for myself and my own life, but also for the process that I teach to the families that I work with is not how do I recover from this? Not how do I stop this? How can I fully integrate this so that it feels like an easy and familiar part of me and my life? So for me at that point, it felt like, okay, I'm grieving. I need to integrate that grief into my life. I, I don't want to shut it behind a wall or put it in a box or hide it away somewhere because it's who I am right now. And I want to be a hundred percent of who I am. With the families that I work with, we talk about this idea of how can we really integrate autism into your lives? Like, okay, you've got a kid who wants to line up every single DVD box in the house. 
instead of going to war with that, how can we integrate that into your life? How can we make it okay that you have a house like a massive stack of DVDs in the middle of the hallway? (laughs) (laughs) Or even if as a parent, you still have grief around your child's diagnosis, because it's so understandable if you do. Mm. How can you integrate that grief in a comfortable way into your experience of your life as a parent? Because here's what I believe. Most judgment comes from unhappiness that we have not integrated. Oh, say that again, Jack. Say that again. I'm pulling the car over for the second time. (laughs) Say that again. (laughs) Most judgment comes from unhappiness that we have not integrated. It comes from a part of ourselves that we have shut down and pushed away and not allowed to be. And then we project that not allowing out into the world. And so when someone else does that thing that we've pushed away, we go into the attack because we do not want to identify with it. Oh, and how many times, I think probably most of us, and I'm curious for those of you listening, give me feedback on this, but it goes both ways too, where we've been on the other end of somebody else's judgment. I've noticed that the people in my life who are the most judgmental are the ones who I often wonder, have you done your own work? It's like the ones who are so quick. I'm like, have you done your own work here? And when I look at the leaders or the folks who are in charge, who spout a lot of hate and judgment and, and division, I often look at them and think, what are you masking? What is it that's boiling up? It's so hot inside of you because it hasn't been, it hasn't been addressed. Yeah. Exactly. And it goes back again to this idea of acceptance and curiosity. If I can hold some acceptance and some curiosity for another person, maybe being quite intense or aggravating towards me, I can say, okay, there's some real unaddressed pain behind that. I love that. And, and the part that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I'm curious how this shows up for you, is being curious, finding reasons to understand even just 3% more where somebody else is coming from, and also realizing that doesn't mean that I have to keep them close to me. Oh, <laughs> I think there's a real parallel here for parents, which is like, I can be curious and understand why my child is like throwing their pizza on the wall. And also not let them do it. (laughs) (laughs) Having curiosity and the desire to understand doesn't make us doormats. Like I still have my value. And as a parent, I can still parent from that value system. I'm just going to get more information to understand my child, which allows me to then come up with even more effective parenting strategies. Beautifully said, Jack. Jeez Louise. So can you all see why I like hanging out with you, Jack? (laughs) (laughs) So so, like everything you've landed, each like, you know, two-minute segment could just be its own, its own conversation here, Jack. And I'm curious for you, how does caring to your own emotional well-being, how does that show up in your career these days? Like what does that even look like these days? That's a great question. And again, I'm, I'm, I want to keep bringing it back to parents too, because I want people to also get some things from this that hopefully feel useful to them. One of the things that I've realized, and you and I have talked about this, is there are so many cultural myths around the idea of self-care and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest of those myths is how time expensive it is. I remember listening to something ages ago and so it was kind of a lecture and someone was talking about self-care pertaining to parents with autism. And they threw out this idea of like, oh, well, you know, if you're tired, go and have a bubble bath for a couple of hours. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, if, if you knew how to do that, we'd already all be yeah, doing that, yeah. right? Like, you know, yeah. if, if I had the five staff lined up to be with the rest of my family, I would go do that. I mean, you know, 
I, as, as a person who's just a business owner and who doesn't at this point have children, often don't have time to take two hours out of my schedule to have a bubble bath. So one of the big things I've learned is short and sweet self-care is the way to go, right? Whether that is like, so for me right now, I'm really into jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> I, just, I find them so calming. And so I would like do like an hour long session with one of my clients and then I'll just go and do like 10 minutes and I'll set the timer like 10 minutes and I, I do not have any sound in the background. It's just silence. Mm. I know for a lot of parents, that part's not going to be achievable easily, but like 10 minutes to do my jigsaw puzzle or even just three minutes. And it's like, oh, I've done something for me now, you know, or it's things like I've learned things that I find really enjoyable. Like I love scent. So one of the things I do at the end of the day, rather than at the start of the day, is I put on cologne. It's like my son, like I've finished work. So I'm going to put on some cologne. So I smell nice. It's like a little treat to myself at the end of the day. Right? I love that for all of us who are working from home right now too. Yes. Like, there is no commute. So if you were used to having a commute and that doesn't exist in the same way, this idea of the way you're building in a little healthy separation between your work hours and now your non-working hours. Yes, yes. And that's, yeah. I found that that's, I've had a crash course in having to do that over the last few months. But I want to keep coming back to this point because I feel it's really important for parents, which is self-care doesn't have to look like a two hour long bubble bath. Self-care doesn't have to look like a weekend getaway to a spa. Like if you can do those things, wonderful. But what if we started to create like little menus for ourselves of, oh, I know this tiny thing feels good for me. Whether it is putting on some perfume, whether it is taking a couple of minutes to do a puzzle, whether it is taking a couple of minutes and just like listening to one of my favorite songs. Or one of the things that I worked out for myself was I would often listen to the news while doing the dishes, mm -hmm. which right now, like listening to the news does not feel like self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. A nice, calm, loving gift for myself. <laughs> so I just like realized like, I, I don't feel good after doing that. So let me find something else that does feel good. I love podcasts. So I listen to podcasts. And this is the other thing too, which is I think we can get worthy with our self-care. Like we make it self-care in pursuit of betterment, which is not self-care. Right, because that just in and of itself, if the idea is betterment, and then it actually becomes work and it becomes work quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's another thing that I can beat myself up with. So right. like, I'm sure that you see this too, like because you and I are in the yoga community, I kind of had this idea of like, if I'm listening to podcasts, I should listen to really uplifting podcasts and I should listen to kind of really spiritually <laughs> profound podcasts. I love listening to podcasts about like, I'm currently listening to a podcast about serial killers in the USA, <laughs> but I it like, I find it fascinating for some reason. And it took me a while to let myself do that, to not feel like, oh, I'm a yogi who listens to podcasts about serial killers. That's weird. Find it comes your back own to this whole premise. Thing. Yeah, this premise of just this whole approach you have. We talk a lot here about not seeing ourselves as fragments of, mm. of ourselves, that there's not the version of you that does yoga and the version of you that's a professional and the version of you that does dishes and the version of you that likes, you know, these serial killer podcasts, that you're, <laughs> that you're one whole being, Jack, that it's all part of the mm. tapestry. And isn't this the what true leadership looks like in our new economy? It's that not repeating the box we've been given in and just creating more boxes, but rather allowing ourselves to expand. And when none of us are made to fit in, and when you talk about, you know, 
not having the same neurology as everybody else, the diversity of our, of a, our a neurodiverse population. It's such an invitation to expansiveness. You know, we weren't made to fit in. We were made to expand, which means we're going to have to have appreciation for our, for our quirks. And I am clear as day, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is the same for you, Jack, that any opportunity for joy, we cannot afford to squander. We oh. must, and, and, for, and I totally relate to this idea of disproportionate joy. There are certain things that make me what I think is disproportionately happy. Like when my hair is blown out, I have naturally super curly hair. When my hair is blown out, I feel disproportionately happy. It's like, I don't yes. know why I feel so good. I like it so much. It doesn't make any logical sense, but it makes such a difference that I can't squander that. I just need to go there. And so I love your, your ability to say, okay, this particular podcast makes no sense to me why it brings <laughs> yeah. me joy, but it does. And I will not squander that. That joy and hope and optimisms are things that we, we can't just cross our fingers and sit in a sofa and hope they come to us. That these right. are things that we consciously create and they're not separate from our work. This is what gives you the yes. chutzpah to show up well, for the work. If I could just jump in for a second, because, oh, 100%, I love what you were saying. And I would add this. Yes. This is what leadership looks like, and it is expansive. And I would also add in, this is what integration looks like. Mm. This is what it looks like when we allow ourselves to fully integrate all of the disparate parts of who we are. That allows us to be expansive. That brings forth our joy, our optimism. That allows us to be powerful leaders. It allows us to be the leaders that the world needs right now. Right? The world has had a lot of, I would say, disintegrated leaders recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the more that we can tend to all of the parts of ourselves, whether it is loving having our hair blown out or our quirky <laughs> podcast tastes, or whether it is unaddressed grief or shame that we have stuffed down and that we've not allowed ourselves to have that curiosity and that acceptance around, the more that we create active integration for ourselves the more we can really, I believe, reach our potential. And as parents, we can help our children to reach their potential too. And I think the same applies for those of us who are parents of our career or of our business or of our household or of our personal health, right? All these different things that we have the opportunity to be the stewards of. This invitation that you're extending, Jack, to be conscious about integration time is so rich and beautiful. And I thank you so much for bringing this forward. So I'm wondering, are you game for doing our messy and magnificent two-way Q&A? I am always game for a game. So yes, bring it on. <laughs> Jack was just telling me, actually, he propped up his computer like we often do. I've got mine like on a, <laughs> yes. on a, little, um, on a little box. This is on a box of wigs today, right? This is, yes. which nothing makes me happier than that. So Jack, if you came with a warning label, what might it say? Oh my gosh, what a question. It would say, warning, you will leave this person having revealed something you didn't expect to and liking yourself more. Well, I can speak from personal experience. That's exactly what happens every time <laughs> you and I hang out. <laughs> no, that warning, oh, should, really? it's true. It should be on the bottom of the screen on every Zoom call. <laughs> Disclaimer, uh, this will be a transformational conversation and you will like yourself more at the end of that. And Jack, that just to me, I want to reflect to you if it's okay as somebody who knows you well. I believe that that ability that you have to help other people 
be clearer and love themselves more is a direct reflection of the work you have done to integrate yourself and the way you you love and respect yourself and include that in the equation of standing up for all people, the way you include yourself in the equation of well-being, of global well-being is beautiful, beautiful to witness. So based on our conversation today, what is one question that you would have for somebody listening in right now? What do you want to know? The question that wants to be asked is, what are you resisting integrating in yourself right now? What part of you are you not allowing to be part of you right now? Talk about a doorway to instant knowledge on tap. That question is an invitation to wisdom. It's an invitation to knowing more about ourselves. Jack, thank you. Before I ask you the last question of the day, mm. how can people get in touch with you? If, so, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I want more Jack in my world and you know somebody who's autistic, how could they be in touch with you? Right. So um, they can go to my website, which is www.autismoptimisminternational.com. And on there as well, we are putting together a whole load of different free resources for families. There's going to be a free webinar on there for people, but we're also putting together a free series of mindset masterclasses for parents. Mm -hmm. Those will all be available on my website. Or the other fun way to be in touch is through my social media. Currently, the best way to find me is on Facebook and you can simply look me up. I'm Jack Mason hyphen Goodall on Facebook. Get in touch. I'm, I'm constantly putting out zany and weird and bizarre and hopefully <laughs> thought-provoking things. Incredibly thought-provoking, joy-inspiring videos. I'll speak to it and I'll make sure that we put links to both Jack's website and his Facebook page in the show notes. So wherever you're listening in, just go to the show notes and you can click right on it. And occasionally Jack puts that box of wigs to use in unexpected ways on, on his social media. So I can't... <laughs> <laughs> So Jack, the play therapist in me, I I just, I have to bring joy. You bring joy to every conversation. So here's my last question for you. Even if other people disagree, what is one thing that you know to be true? I know it to be true that every human being on this planet is valid and lovable. And it's only pain that tells us otherwise. Jack, thank you for being here today. Thank you so, so much. I knew I would love this, but I loved it so much more. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <sighs> and I'm gonna, we're going to have to get our s'more game back together. Yes. We're going to have to work on that again. I have to do yeah. some transatlantic s'mores. Heck yeah. Maybe that's our next <laughs> podcast, Pajama Party. More <laughs> off. Count me in for that. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Jack Mason Goodall. You know, I want to tell you a little behind the scenes as Jack spoke about integration and how important it is us for us to have room to process what's happening in real time. This is my last recording before I go out of the office for what we call culmination. And we have a culmination practice in my business where for the last week of every month, we don't do any public stuff. We all go a little bit internal and we spend an entire week at the end of the month processing what just happened. This is where we look at what's going well that we might repeat and what we might do a little differently because it needs to be modified or it just needs to not happen at all anymore because it's not serving us. 
And so I just want to echo that Jack's invitation to integration. It's not just something that we hope to get to later on, that beginning to prioritize it in whatever way is doable for you, whether that's one, you know, two minute sit down moment makes a world of difference. So I want you to know that there are links in the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode to Jack's website and his social media. If you know anybody on the autism spectrum, I cannot say enough good things about Jack and his work. And he's always got some type of really powerful free resource on his website, Autism Optimism International. So hop over there. Now, Jack and I meant this question when he said, what are you resisting integrating in yourself right now? What part of you are you not allowing to be part of you right now? We want to hear about that. Put that in a comment on iTunes or post it on social media and tag me in it so that we can continue to explore the fullness of who you actually are. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including your curiosity. And I'll see you again next week for a very special episode as we celebrate the one-year anniversary of Messy and Magnificent with some of our best clips from the past year. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.